Well, good morning, church. It is a pleasure to be here this morning. If you're wondering, like, what is God Changes Lives? God Changes Lives Ministries. Um, I'm part of a biblical counseling ministry, and my high school friend that I've known since high school, Trevor Williams, he's, he's actually, some of you may know him, he's here today. He introduced me to your pastor about a year ago. And we had a breakfast together, and here I am. I'm up here, and he asked me to speak with you. So that's the connection, if you're wondering. We are going to be in Psalm 18 this morning. And this is a long psalm. It's 50 verses. But I believe that the Lord has much to say to us. As we know, David... He wrote many songs known as the Psalms. And Psalm 18 is a special song. It's a victory song of reflection and praise. And it highlights God's deliverance. David wrote Psalm 18 later in life. This is like way at the end of his reign as king. Saul has been defeated and his enemies. And... um, We also would find this psalm actually in 2 Samuel 22, which is really amazing because that's rare. It's rare to actually find something of great length twice in the scriptures. So church, this is an important psalm. Anytime that we see something multiple times in scripture, that means God wants us to pay attention. He has something to say to us that's very important. And so with that, let's turn to Psalm 18, and I'm going to read all 50 verses. But before I do that, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be here with this church family this morning. And we need your help, Lord. So we ask that the Holy Spirit would come down and fill us and empower us. Would you illuminate our hearts? Would you illuminate our minds? Would you capture our attention? And would you help us to hear from your word today? Help me, God, um, as your instrument to speak what you want your church to hear. I know that you want to speak to your people. And so, Lord, I pray for your help. And I pray for your people, Lord, that you would minister to all of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 18, starting in verse 1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress... I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. 
From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed them forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent out from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from God, from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way, is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all of those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? But the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless, he made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I thrust them, though, 
so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations, people whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, who shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David, and his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. I'm excited to talk through this psalm with you this morning. The main idea of this psalm is God, God is a personal, powerful, and victorious deliverer. Therefore, we can take refuge in him. And so I divided this into four main points. And here's the first point, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. This is found in verses 1 through 6. The first point is God is a personal Savior. God is a personal Savior. Notice how David starts out in Psalm 1. David's response is first a personal expression of love to God. I love you, O Lord. I love you. The verb love that is used here is an affectionate, devoted, and intimate kind of love. So simply put, we see right out of the starting gate, David truly loves the Lord, and it's personal. This is why you may have thought, why is David known as a man after God's own heart? You would find that in 1 Samuel 13, 14. And so therefore, a question that we must, we must ask ourselves and just put in front of us every day is, how are we personally growing to love God? Do I love God? Where do I need to grow to personally know him more? As you know, the greatest commandment, which the entire law depends on, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your your mind and your soul, and also to love your neighbor as yourself. And ministry and what we do should really flow out of that love. And you know, sometimes we get that backwards, don't we? Sometimes we can love things and we can actually love ministry before God. Uh, In the church of Ephesus, Jesus commends the church for its good deeds and hard work However, they lost their love and their zeal for God. 
And what happened was they fell into going through the motions of everyday ministry. Can you relate? I know I can sometimes. And when this happens, a church can produce ministry, but it's for the wrong reason. So here we see, just in verse 1, David loves God. And because of David's love and affection for the Lord, in the next two verses, he describes God in personal ways, and he expresses praise to him. Take notice in verses 1 and 2, David uses my, my nine times when describing who God is to him. He says, he expresses to God that God is my strength, my rock, he uses twice, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And so what I'd like to do is just take a closer look at some of these expressions. We'll start with my strength. Strength is to withstand great force and pressure. It's to have stamina and never tire or become weary, to be empowered. The prophet Isaiah wrote in, in 4029, God gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And so we are called to walk in the strength of the Lord, not in our own strength. And I'm sure all of us can relate. We're all tempted to walk in self-sufficiency. But God was David's strength. God was also David's rock. My rock can be described in, in many ways, but I'm just going to highlight three ways. A rock can be a sure foundation. Psalm 42 says that David drew him up from the pit of destruction and set his feet upon a rock. Jesus said that everyone who hears his words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, which can sustain powerful storms. A rock could also be a shelter. Right? A rock in a barren land can provide shade and protection from the sun. A rock can also be a refuge. David hid from Saul and his enemies many times in rocky caves, and he found refuge. I believe Proverbs 18.10 captures these descriptions really well as describing them as a strong tower. Right? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it, and is safe. And we are to look to God as our foundation, as our shelter, as our refuge, and we're to run into him as our strong tower. Well, God is also David's fortress and stronghold, right? A fortress is, is really, there's there's much ammunition in a fortress, right? Or it wouldn't be called a fortress. It wouldn't be a military stronghold. But it's strongly defended from attack. And so God is our defender. He was David's defender. He's our defender. God is David's shield. A shield protects from objects coming at you. God is our hedge of protection. God is David's horn of salvation, uh, with livestock, you might be familiar with the horn, and, and the horn is very significant. The male who raises his horn above all others demonstrates that he is the most powerful and he is the most mighty. 
So a horn indicates strength, power, and triumph. And God is not just a powerful horn, but is David's horn of salvation. He's David's savior. God is our powerful avenger and savior. And then lastly, he considers God my God. My God. God, by definition, actually means creator, supreme authority, and ruler, who is perfect in power, wisdom, and goodness. And so God is our perfect, powerful, wise, and good creator and ruler. And as you see in verse 3, David's praise is personal because he looks back on his life, or as he's looking back on his life in this song, he is describing the personal activity of God throughout all of his life and circumstances. So I just want to ask you, I want to ask you, how would you describe the personal activity of God throughout all of your life? Have you ever considered And even more so, how about in your disappointments or your hardships or your trials? Because, you know, it's during those times that we can be tempted to question God and what he's doing. And as David reflects back on some of his hardships, he describes them in verses 4 to 5 as almost being swallowed up by death. They were that bad. David lived for many years believing that there was a step between him and death. That's pretty rough. And at times, he despaired of surviving. And I know some of us can relate with that. I've been in seasons where I've despaired of surviving. You know, David lived on the run for a really long time. It was a couple decades. You know, after David was chosen and called by God. He was chosen and called by God to be king, and he was anointed by Samuel, and then for about 20 years he lived like a fugitive. Think about that. Living on the run for that long, that's tiresome. So I want to ask you, can you relate in any way to David? Maybe You're in an area where life is not going as you expected. Maybe you're just tired and you're just feeling done. Can you relate? How are you responding? You know, we can respond in all kinds of ways. And they're not always positive. And I believe God has something for us here. Look how David responds in verse 6. David called out to the Lord for help. Look, we're either going to turn to God or we're going to turn to something else, right? There's no neutral ground. If we're not turning to God, we're turning to something else, right? David turned to God. And turning to God is really a functional expression of our dependence on him. Because when we're not turning to him and we're finding other means or even trusting in ourselves or maybe even um, 
pursuing idols in a sense, right? They, they rule us to a sense that we're putting more hope in that than we are in God. That's really a functional expression that I'm walking in self-sufficiency. And what I love about this is what great assurance to know that in a broken, sinful world where there are no guarantees, that David had one guarantee, at least one guarantee. He had the assurance of a personal savior that he could turn to and take refuge in. And you know what, church? We also have the assurance of a personal savior that we can turn to and we can take refuge in. And his name is Jesus. We have such a great hope because of Jesus. The Lord says through Paul, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So there isn't anyone or anything that could be your rock, that could be your fortress, that could be your stronghold, that could be your shield, your horn of salvation. There is no one, no one like Jesus. No one. Which leads to my second point. God is powerful to rescue. And we'll be in verses 6, six through 19. God is powerful to rescue. So David wrote that in his distress... He calls out to the Lord. Notice God's response in the latter part of verse 6. God heard David's cry. There's a promise in verse 6 that we can't miss here, church. God in heaven hears our voice when we call out to him. He does. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way. I get it. Sometimes, though, our feelings lie. And we see hope here in verse 6. God in heaven hears our voice when we call out to him. He cares about us, church. He cares about your distress. Maybe some of you are going through some really challenging times right now, and maybe you're questioning, God, are you there? God, do you hear me? I'm crying out to you, and it just doesn't look like that you're hearing me. Well, I want you to have hope, church, that he's hearing you. And he's powerful enough to deliver you. In verses 7 to 8, just look at the, or not 7 to 8, in 7 to 15, look at the imagery here that we see that demonstrates God's power. In verses 7 to 8, we see his deliverance, his powerful deliverance. It's pretty passionate here. The imagery portrays God as an angry force to be reckoned with to be reckoned with, which means God's so powerful, he cannot be ignored. God's deliverance is found in verses 9 to 12, as I termed it majestic. Just consider the picture here. God is described as taking the sky and bending it. Darkness is under his feet. And he's riding swiftly on the wind upon storm clouds. Like, this is an amazing, majestic sight, right? Just picture God bigger than the most enormous tornado. 
The only tornado I've seen is on TV, but sometimes I like to search those channels and find like the biggest one, you know, the disaster shows, and I'm just appalled. I'm amazed. Just imagine the biggest enormous tornado and darkness surrounding it, but yet there's light before him. And I would, I would love that picture on my wall. I would love the picture of verses 9 to 12 on my wall. That would be an amazing picture. In verses 13 to 15, we see God's deliverance here is powerful. David describes God's weapons as thunder and lightning, hailstones and coals of fire. God's power thwarts the plans of our enemies and his weapons of destruction. That's just an amazing picture. And with this view of God in mind, in verses 16 to 19, we see a picture of this passionate, majestic, and powerful God on a rescue mission to save David. Right? So God, uh, David is metaphorically drowning in the deep waters of life. That's what the text says. And he comes down, God comes down and just snatches him out. And it's an amazing picture. And what's so amazing about it is, is that this imagery that you're looking at in 7 to 15, this picture of God rescuing David out of waters and snatching him out, actually foreshadows another picture of rescue that we can benefit from. If you're feeling like you're drowning in the deep waters of life this morning, be encouraged. There's great news for us this morning, church. God sees you. He sees you. His eye is on you. He's got you. His encouragement is for you to not lose heart. He doesn't want you to lose heart and trusting in his power to rescue you. This passionate, majestic, and powerful God came down and he snatched us right out of the deep waters of our sin. He did. The Apostle Paul said it this way. Paul said, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God delivered us, and take notice in Colossians 1.13, take notice of this. He not only delivered us, He transferred us. Where, where did God transfer us? To the kingdom of of his beloved son. You see, church, there's a king that has been given all authority, has been given all power over all things, and in this king, we have the hope of deliverance and salvation. He willingly left his throne, content in the Trinity, became his creation, lived among his creation, and laid down his life for his creation. I'd like you to consider the passionate, majestic, and powerful imagery of this king described in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Just listen to this. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. This king, this king, this king is Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Amen. There is no other king that has conquered death and sin by taking upon himself our sin, absorbing the penalty of God's wrath, dying on the cross, resurrecting from the dead, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. There is no other king. Actually, Christianity, right? Christianity is really the only faith out of all the religions in the entire world where God comes down and rescues and brings out to his kingdom. It's just amazing. We have an amazing God. Paul, again, said it this way. He said, But God, rich in his mercy, because of the great love which he has loved, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by the grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. God is powerful to deliver. He's powerful to rescue. So we looked at God as a personal God. God is powerful to rescue. Third point, God delivers and rewards the righteous. Verses 20 through 30. God delivers and rewards the righteous. In verses 20 to 24, it may actually seem like if you're reading through it that David is boasting about himself and his own righteousness. It could come across that way, but that's not what he's doing. That's not what he's doing at all. And although David struggled at times to trust the Lord, if you know his story, he did sin grievously, actually several times. There was one grievous sin, but he, he, he sinned grievously often. Um, he also humbly responded to rebuke, and he repented. And he never did completely turn away from, the God, from God, um, as many as the kings of Israel have. But he pressed in the God even more. And so David writes in verse 27, he says that the humble, God, he says that God saves the humble, but brings down the haughty, the arrogant, and the prideful. So he's, he's acknowledging that his righteousness started out of his humility, right? I'm being humble, being humble before God. Humility is important before God. Proverbs 22.4 states the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. And Isaiah 66.2, the B, the latter half, um, I, the prophet says, to whom will I look? The Lord's saying, to whom will I look? Who captures my attention? So as God is looking to and, and fro, to whom captures my attention? The first thing that comes out is, well, to the one who is humble. And it goes on to contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Humility, repentant heart, revolve your life around God's word. That's what captures God's attention. And David does acknowledge that God turned his darkness into light in verse 28. 
And he states in verse 32 that he considered righteousness because of God, not himself. So just like God delighted to rescue David and turn his darkness into light, it is God's delight, church. It's God's delight to take the righteousness of Christ and to put it on us and to take our sin and to put it on Christ. It's his delight. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, if you are in Christ this morning, you're actually blameless before God. That's just an amazing thing. And I just know how sinful I am. And in Christ, God looks at me as blameless because of Christ. He looks at you as blameless because of Christ because you know what? He blamed Jesus. He blamed Jesus for you and for me. You know, whenever I'm considering my my justification in this way, I think of this. Have you ever considered out of all the problems that you have that your greatest problem is solved? Your greatest problem. You might think, well, what are you talking about? And look, I know that some of you have tremendous problems. I've had great problems. But you know, our greatest problem is actually to be guilty of our sin and experience God's wrath. And God has removed for all of us, we're all on equal territory if we're in Christ, he has removed our greatest problem. So any problem you have, it's not your greatest problem, it's next in line. And I just think that helps with perspective, right? You're removed, I'm removed from God's accusations and therefore from God's wrath. That's amazing. God does this. God did this. And you know what else God does that we can see in this text? God not only does he determine our righteousness in Christ and he rewards us for how, he also rewards us for how we live out our righteousness. It's not a reward like like we earning our salvation reward, but he rewards us for how we live. Consider these verses in other areas of the scriptures. 1 Corinthians, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. Proverbs puts it this way, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus also said that he will treat us in the same way that we treat others. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you will use, will be measured to you. So God delights to reward us when we humbly obey him. And when we take refuge in him and obey, there's this deliverance and reward that is readily available for us. So let me ask you this morning, another question. That's the counselor in me, right? I'm, I ask the questions. How are you walking out the righteousness of Jesus 
that God has granted you in ways that please the Lord. How are you walking that out? He took Jesus' righteousness and he put it on you as you came to him in humility and confessed your sins and asked him to come into your life and you chose to follow him. You said, you decided, you said, God, I want to follow you. I, I receive your gift of salvation to me. How are you living that out? That's a gift. So God is a personal savior. God is powerful to rescue God delivers and rewards the righteous. And the last point, God is victorious. Verses 31 to 50, God is victorious. So throughout this, throughout this psalm so far, we're provided with a picture of God who is personal. He's personal. He's powerful to deliver. He ascribes righteousness and he rewards those who live righteously. And in this last part of Psalm 18, we are provided a victorious picture of God's deliverance. See, as you may know, if you know about David, David had many enemies. He had many enemies. Maybe you have some enemies. Maybe you're dealing with situations where maybe people, some people have resentments towards you or they don't like you or they may not validate you or maybe they have something against you. Well, God delivered David by equipping him in ways that he would be victorious over his enemies. And that's what you see in, in those verses. God gave David strength and the skill to use his strength so David could run effortlessly to high places. God equipped David for war. David was able to use great weapons for battle. And when considering all that God did for David, I just love verse 35. Verse 35 is like one of my favorite verses. In verse 35, it says, You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. Wow. The right hand of God, the right hand, when you, when you read that, the right hand of God over a person, it represents authority, it represents blessing, it represents power, it represents strength. And God's right hand is upon us. It's amazing. The gentleness of God, if you're wondering, gentleness, what does that mean? It really conveys his mercy. I think you can even replace gentleness of God, the mercy of God, the mercy of God, God's gentle mercy. Consider the following ways that God's gentleness or mercy was great towards David throughout his life. God's gentleness was great towards David when he was an ignored member of his family while tending sheep. Yeah, he was the baby, and God anointed David to be king out of all his brothers. Well, that's merciful. God's gentleness was great towards David when Saul envied and hated him, and God would console David. God's gentleness was great towards David when he was fleeing from Saul, and he committed foolish acts, very foolish acts, such as eating the holy bread from the tabernacle in Nob, and acting like a madman in Goth. And that's, that's a whole other story. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you could read Samuel. But he made 
really bad mistakes there. And David, uh, David should have really been struck dead, in my opinion. You know, because when Uzziah touched the ark to keep it from falling, God struck him dead. So, you know, why didn't God strike David dead? David deserved the same, and God was merciful to him. God's mercy was great towards David when he used Abigail to keep him from committing murders. Abigail rescued him in a big way that, that would have brought retribution upon him. And God's mercy was great towards David by preventing him from killing Saul twice. You know, he had two opportunities to kill Saul, and he didn't. And because God's right hand supported David, he was able to pursue his enemies and be victorious over them. For David's enemies, such as King Saul and David's son Absalom, and I could go on, but just those two, it says in the text God would not hear their cry. Right? There's two examples. God would not hear his enemies cry. Well, God didn't hear Saul's cry. God didn't hear Absalom's cry. And any foreign adversary that resisted David would either end up serving him or be conquered by him. Read, read Samuel. Read, read throughout First and Second Samuel, and you'll get the big picture of just God's gentleness, his mercy towards David. And in response, as we see in verses 46 and 49 of Psalm 18, David doesn't take credit. He doesn't take credit, but he praises the Lord for his personal deliverer. And David praises the Lord for making him victorious over his enemies. So as we come to a close, this song in Psalm 18 is, is really not just for King David. I and mean, we know it's his song, he wrote it, he sung it. But this song, it's also for us, church. Verse 50 promises great salvation and points to a Messiah, a promised deliverer through the seed of David. And we can see in that verse that God's gentleness is made great towards us by sending us a victorious savior, savior who conquered sin and death. He did that for us. So as we come to a close, I'd like to leave you with one couple more questions I'd like to ask you. What is your song of personal deliverance and victory? What is your song? As you look over your life, as you reflect, what is your song? of personal deliverance and victory. And if you're not yet a believer, I don't want to assume in a room this big that everyone's a Christian and everyone's a follower of Jesus. If you're here, that's a wonderful thing. That means that God's got your heart and you're paying attention. And if you're not a believer, if that is you, consider, consider today. You can start a new chapter in your life you can begin a new song knowing a personal savior, experiencing a deliverer, and being victorious in Christ. Let's pray. Father, there's much more that we could learn from your psalm in 18.
But Lord, I, take, I pray that you would take what was shared this morning, what was put on our hearts and our minds to reflect and consider. Would you take this and would you grow us closer to you? Would you help us, God, to take notice of evidences of your love and your grace and your deliverance in our life while being in the midst of a broken world where there's heartache and sin. Help us, God, to praise you that you rescued us from our greatest problem. You delivered us from your wrath. You've forgiven us. You've cleansed us. You've made us like Jesus, and you're continuing to do that. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the church house located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.